Hey Rope Droppers, we want to thank our amazing sponsor, the Rope Drop Queen herself, Michelle McKnight. She's an independent travel agent affiliated with MEI Travel and Mouse Fan Travel. We have used her on a number of vacations and can't speak highly enough of her services. If you are thinking about a Disney vacation, she's the one to talk to. Her services are completely free. Disney pays her after you travel. And she has a wealth of knowledge that has saved us a lot of time and money. So check her out on Facebook at Rope Drop Queen or email her at michelle.mcknight at mei-travel.com. Now, on to the show. Helping you navigate the Disney parks. With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. You're listening to Rope Drop Radio. Welcome to another Rope Drop Radio. Derek and Doug talking all things Disney. And Doug, we have a really amazing guest on this week's episode. Really excited for but first, we got to get to some housekeeping things because we have a bunch of reviews. And so thank you, everyone, who's been leaving those yes. reviews. We read them on air every week. Doug, how many are you going to do today? I'm going to do two because I want to get on to the guests. I mean, we I could keep going, but we don't want a whole show of reviews. So here we go. All right. Every Week is Magical with Rope Drop Radio by, I think, it's Emily B. Brand. I don't know. I really bow at names if they're not. There's no capitals in there to give me clues, guys. I think it's Emily, so thank you, Emily. All right. I love listening to Rope Drop Radio. I visit Disney World frequently, but I still go through Disney withdrawals when I'm not there. These guys not only help fill the void, but they help me stay up to date with Diz News. They are also always making me add items onto my never-ending and always-growing Disney bucket list. Whether you are planning your first trip to Disney or are an annual pass holder who visits regularly, this podcast is for you. There you go. Yeah, Solid. You That's a I good like that. one. That was a good one. I know. She made me use all of my words. Is a challenge. All right. On to the next one. <laughs> I like a good challenge. Wonderful World of Rope Drop Radio. I like what they did there. It's like Wonderful World of Disney. That's very creative. I like it. Good it's job. Good. And it's by. Master Yoda in nineteen eighty eight. Well, that's a great name. Mm-hmm. That is. Well, solid. what if it is really the Master Yoda? I mean, it could be. You never know. Could be. I it's, maybe depends it's on the review. Mis- Mr. Oz commenting. You know, that might be his handle. I don't know. I just love Rope Drop Radio. I started listening when I was planning my honeymoon at Disney World. I grew up in California going to Disneyland, but WDW is a whole other ball game. That is true. Derek and Doug's tips are invaluable when learning about the intricacies of Disney transportation, dining plans, resorts, fast passes, and all the best Disney eats. This podcast is vital for any Dis nerd out there. Put on those mouse ears and have a listen to the wonderful world of Rope Drop Radio. My gosh, that's a spectacular review, Master well, and Yoda. Well, Master Yoda said on his honeymoon, which means he's married, thus Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. It all I makes mean, sense. It's all coming together now. Oh, that's season plan. two right there. We got a sneak peek. We figured it out. We did. We did. We cracked the code. All right. Well, we kind of flew through the opening. Usually we have more banter back and forth, but no, today we have an awesome guest. Doug and I are truly honored. We have a Disney legend with us mm-hmm. with over 40 years of park experience, uh, has done everything at pretty much most theme parks, Universal, Disney, cast member. He is also an author, 
and a movie, uh, a movie that came out. And so we need to welcome the Dreamfinder himself, Mr. Ron Schneider. Welcome to Rope Drop Radio. Thank you. I'm still trying to get over Doug's pronunciation of intricacies. It was. I really tried hard, and I failed. It was lovely. It was just Thank lovely. You. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Ron. Some people might not think there's their dream finder why is that on the back of my are they thinking about it i was wondering if you could start today's show with a little uh maybe improv of what the uh, dream finder would have said <laughs> it's real to be here boys <laughs> i love it that voice that is, brings back memories yes. it's great i've spent the last couple days on youtube watching old videos of uh dream finder in the park meeting guests and uh and of course the the attraction at the imagination pavilion so that was my prep work derek on the other hand uh started reading your book because derek can read i cannot so i just i got through four percent according to the kindle oh nice yeah and what is the title of the book Called From Dreamer to Dream Finder, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. And you, you have done a lot. Usually we start this show with every guest saying, hey, give us your Disney background. And they'll be like, oh, we honeymooned there or we grew up going there. So we're going to ask that question, Ron. Uh, but maybe don't spoil the whole book because it does. It, it's not that long of a book, which is great. But that would be a really long show. So uh, you're going to have to give the cliff note versions of uh, your experience at the Disney parks. Uh, I was uh, at Disneyland the day that it opened to the public, July 18th, 1955. Grew up uh, going to the park probably about twice a year. Um, from an early age. I was performing magic and puppetry, and as soon as I was uh, capable of imagining such a thing, I knew that I wanted to be a performer, and moreover, I wanted to be a performer at Disneyland. I saw a show at Disneyland called the Golden Horseshoe Review that had been running since 1955, and decided this is what I want to do with my life. And uh, from that point on, I just followed my bliss. Um, I uh, My first uh, theme park job at Disneyland was uh, as war. And uh, years later, I was uh, at, the, at the Golden Horseshoe Review understudying Wally. My dream came true. I did that for about uh, two years. And then uh, Epcot opened. I heard about Dreamfinder and uh, asked my boss if I could be the guy to originate the character at, in Florida. So Disney brought me out, opened Epcot, did that for uh, about five years. And then between all this, I was working at Universal and I was working for a lot of the different theme restaurants and different special events. And consulting work. And uh, the last time I was at Disney was from 2006 to 2010 when I was on the opening crew of the Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor. That is a lot. There's a yeah. lot, a lot going on. That is a lot. He, you did sum up the whole book pretty well there. And, uh, mm -hmm. But there's so many good stories and details. And so I just want to plug the book real quick. And we'll have it on our book page on our website and Amazon link. Uh, it, it really isn't that long of a book. It's a really fast read. So uh, I got about 10-15% uh, left. But uh, definitely check it out, Rogue Droppers. It's like $5 on Amazon, but it's it's really good. And if you like Disney history, a lot of good plugs in there as well. You say you kind of asked to just go out to, they took you out to Walt Disney World and you were Dreamfinder. How exactly did you end up in the right place with the right skill set to bring that character to life? What was that process like? 
Um, my whole life was a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Even when I was born, 1952, I was the right age to be at Disneyland. I was two and a half years old when Disneyland opened. I was the right age to apply for a job uh, in the park and uh, all through my, my career. Uh, when I started at uh, the Golden Horseshoe Review, I was uh, 28 and uh, just the right age to step into that show. And I'd had the, about 12 years of experience with theme parks. And then uh, when uh, Epcot came along, I uh, aged in the, the right uh, background with my puppetry and comedy to uh, originate the character. I went to my boss, said, Do you need this character strolling around? They said, yes. So I was the answer to the problem, which is uh, a good position to be in. Yeah. What's really cool in the book is that you got hired. Like, they weren't supposed to even give you a job because you didn't even have transportation. And I thought about that, and I was like, wow, just think of if he didn't go, I can't remember the guy's name, didn't hire you because of the transportation thing. None of this would have happened. That The man's name was Leon Duty. He was worked in uh, casting over at Disneyland, and that was not for the Golden Horseshoe. That was when I was, wanted to get my first job there, which was wardrobe issue. In the, in the Christmas of 1970. Oh yeah, in the parade. Uh, so yes. I there's a good there's a good chance I would have I, I would have wound up at Disney uh, anyway because I wasn't going to stop trying. But just that keep applying until job, they hire you. That, that first job when I turned had just turned 18, and I applied at Disney. Yeah, the guy bent the rules for me because he could see I really wanted it. That's so cool. That's something I've heard from Disney a little bit. That if you really want to work there, they will find a way. So that's that's awesome. All right. Doug to Dreamfinder. Yeah. So what was strolling in the park like in the Florida heat with oh. a massive beard and quite an outfit and a dragon on your arm? Which, spoilers, that beard wasn't real. Finding that out depressed me a little bit. I always thought you sported a real <laughs> really? beard. With all those curls, Derek? Come on. Yeah. Exactly. If I had tried to use my real beard, and I had quite a beard, um, I would have had to sleep with my, my beard and curlers every night, and I'm not about that. When I was growing up, I couldn't stand, when I was doing plays, I could never stand to wear a false mustache. And here I took this job and suddenly I realized, oh my God, I'm going to have to wear a wig, beard, and mustache, <laughs> a three-piece suit, a black hat, and a rubber dragon every day, five days a week, for as long as I'm here. Um, it, it wasn't so bad because I had the run of the pavilion. Uh, now, we had the uh, picture-taking garden with the leapfrog fountains out mm -hmm. in front. And uh, the people from Kodak and the people from Operations wanted me out there posing for pictures. And I'll be out there unless it's too hot, too cold, too rainy, too windy, too muggy, or too buggy. And then I could go up into the image works. I could go anywhere in the pavilion. And uh, so I, I was my own boss out there because I was so far from the entertainment offices that um, I was really on my own. I didn't have anybody uh, looking over me for the most part. And uh, so I was my own boss, and I could, uh, you know, perform in places that I was comfortable. Uh, it was best to be outside where, for the lighting, for the because we are the Kodak Pavilion, and people want to get pictures mm -hmm. in the. I really lived year round for that moment when the winter would hit, and I'd be out there, and I'd be the only warm person in the park. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like that anymore, though. You know, well, not right there now. No, <laughs> no, not right now at all. Um, which I. I think it's really uh, uh, amazing is just the, the whole suit. And then also you had kind of free reign to develop the character and you'd memorize your lines and everything. But what was it like to be able to bring a non-IP character to life for family and for kids? Uh, you know, you didn't have a movie to look at. So you were the boss of this guy. 
Well, not entirely, because I had I wanted to build on what was in the ride. The character was so beautifully developed by Tony Baxter and told a wonderful story. And like all of Epcot Center, it was an inspirational story. The message of the journey to imagination was imagination is something that belongs to all of us. And I wanted to bring that message to the audience. Now, so I, it may, may not be an IP character and that I was take, taking on somebody else's ideas, but I did have to stick to that, uh, to that message. That's what I wanted to do was carry that message forward. So when I was out there with the, with the guests, of course, all the guests really cared about at that point was having their pictures taken and getting their autograph with me. Uh, but if I was going to do this job for, you know, four or five years and not go crazy, I couldn't just be out there and be a checkbook and the you know, mark in their, in their autograph book. I had to find some way of making this thing work uh, thematically, you know, and carry that message forward. And what I found, uh, what I finally stumbled on was treating the guests as if they were sparks of inspiration, just like a Dreamfinder collected in the ride. And when I did that, there was a whole wonderful game I could play with them, and which would not only entertain them and make the experience that much richer, but would entertain the other people who were standing around waiting to have their picture taken. Uh, so it was a, it was a, I, I did get to write my book uh, in what I did, but at the same time, I was into what was in the ride. Makes sense. And how was Figment, as far as the puppet operating wise, was it? Uh, yeah fairly much what you were used to or something totally different and heavy? What was that like? It was totally different than anything I'd done before. I was familiar with, with the particular gag. Um, there's a, uh, I think the first version of this gag was a snake charmer walked around and had uh, two false arms around a basket. And then his real hand was inside operating the snake that would pop up out of the basket and dream fight. And, uh, Figman was a, was a variation on that theme. Uh, I had a false arm that was attached to my coat and my real arm was up inside the dragon. Uh, animating him was not easy because he mm. was not sculpted very well as far as, uh, being easy to operate had to hold my arm in a very unnatural position so that it looked like I was holding him upright so that it didn't look like he was about to fall forward out of my arm. Uh, inside the head, there was no room in the jaw for my thumb, so I had to tuck my thumb under. So uh, it was a little bit uncomfortable. I got very used to it after a while. And when I put my arm in that position now, I could still feel figment there. Uh, the other fellow who did Dreamfinder uh, next to me was a fellow named Steve Taylor, and he did it for 15 years, and he has the scars to prove it. Well, so they didn't improve the puppet at all. It was first generation was and go. There was, one, there was one improvement. We uh, we started with a very heavy rubber head, um, which was replaced uh, about a year and a half, two years in, with a lighter rubber that was easier to animate and made a lot of a dif lot of difference. But the rest of the dragon was the same pretty much. Wow. I'm going to have to really go back and look through some old pictures. Uh, I, back then, film was expensive, so I don't mm -hmm. even know if I have a picture with the Dreamfinder. Uh, and I'm going to be really bummed out if I don't, because if people are wondering, you can't meet with the Dreamfinder and Figment in the park anymore. They were, they were out in 1998. Uh, there was a Figment came back as a eight-foot-tall walk-around figure without the Dreamfinder for a while. We called him Figzilla. Yeah. Uh, but, um, no, Dreamfinder's, uh, no longer there. 
Any any hint that he might make a return? Maybe if they ever refurbish Journey into Imagination? Uh, tons of rumors, no real action at all. Uh, there's Something's going to happen with that building eventually. Um, I have always said I have faith that somewhere Imagineering behind locked doors, there is a wonderful plan for what they could do with Dreamfinder. But uh, with Disney buys the rights to the Muppets and then Marvel and then Star Wars and then 20th Century Fox. And I have this mental image every time they buy a new IP, a new source of material, uh, the need to fix Dreamfinder gets uh, crammed down lower and lower on the yeah. list of priorities. Well, it's tough because it's my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter's favorite ride, one of her favorite rides at Disney, favorite one at Epcot, and I'm like, if only you knew oh, yeah. what it used to be. Oh, the, it's, it's... the current version is painful. Um, what they did with Figment, it it drives oh, yeah. me nuts. Oh yeah, yeah. I they, agree. They treat they treat Figment like he's a pest. Uh, he was uh, with Dreamfinder. He was cherished. He was respected. and He was loved. But um, when they uh, brought Figment back. It's, you know, it's very easy when you're writing a character like that to, to make him a, a nuisance, to say, oh, you, not you again, go away. And uh, that's an easy thing to write. It's not effective. It isn't, uh, doesn't communicate nice things, but um, that's what they did. And so that's what we're kind of stuck with for the time being. Well, here's hoping Imagineering's listening right mm-hmm. now because we know they do. Uh, oh, yeah. Bring back Dreamfinder. Bring, just revise what it used to be. That's, there you go. Simple. That's... Shouldn't be that difficult. Shouldn't, but uh, it ain't easy. Oh, no, no. I, I know that. And everything costs money, and so uh, I guess we'll just wait and see. Next D23. Yeah, that. tell us a little bit about that D23 uh, appearance, because that wasn't uh, too long ago. Um, what, eight how, years. Yeah, how'd that happen exactly? Um, fella who worked for D23, came to me, he was a good friend of mine, was working for the Disney Archives, and he said, uh, we want to bring back the Dreamfinder. Uh, they were going to do this uh, two-hour concert on the weekend celebrating the 40th anniversary of Walt Disney World. They were going to have uh, Richard Sherman there performing, and they wanted to bring Dreamfinder out and surprise Richard and have him sing One Little Spark. And uh, I said, yeah, that's a terrific idea. It'll never happen in a million years. But uh, this fellow was a kind of crafty fellow, and uh, worked his uh, magic and managed to get it set up without anybody knowing about it. Um, we, we got a costume made. I got my hands on one of the dragons. And um, so I walked out on that stage in uh, May of 2011, and nobody knew what hit him. Uh, 2,000 people jumped up on their feet, running towards the stage, crying and taking pictures. And it was just magnificent. Dreamfinder came back for one, uh, one last appearance. Uh, hopefully not one last appearance, though. Hopefully. We can all keep hoping. Yes. Hopefully. Well, I think that's a g- good time to segue into what did you do after your time as Dreamfinder? Well, uh, I left when I left Dreamfinder in '87. Um, I had a friend of mine, the fellow, in fact, the fellow who used to be in charge of entertainment at Epcot was a guy named Pete Blaustein, who I'd known since the '60s. Pete Blaustein was working for a company called Orlando Entertainers that did themed uh, restaurants. They had uh, they'd done Hard Rock Cafe and uh, Planet Hollywood. And uh, he had a show called King Henry's Feast on iDrive. They wanted to do a Western-themed attraction in Kissimmee. And he knew that I was done a character like that uh, for some time. He came to me and asked me to write the show. And I directed the show and starred in the show. So I moved to 
to Kissimmee and uh, started uh, Fort Liberty uh, Dinner Theater. And I was there for a couple of years um, performing, and I had a wonderful time with that show. I left there. I did freelance for a couple of years. I was a writer for, oh, God help me. I was a writer for Chuck E. Cheese. I was writing the video shows for Chuck E. Cheese for a couple of years. And then Universal Studios uh, opened up in uh, 1990, and I got hired on by them to supervise the celebrity lookalikes. So I got to hire and train and write for the Marx Brothers, the Blues Brothers, W.C. Fields, Marilyn Monroe, and all those characters, uh, which was a lot of fun. I had incredible people working for me. And, and I kind of graduated into writing for the entire attraction. So I was there for close to three years. Then um, uh, I was a freelancing again, did some consulting work for Disney, uh, some for Universal. I did a lot of theater in Orlando uh, with various uh, organizations. And uh, then I wound up in Canada for a couple of summers as a, in a dinner theater up there. Came back to the Titanic, uh, Titanic the Exhibition on iDrive as an actor guide. Did that for six years. That was a lot of fun. I learned a lot there. And then uh, went from there to Monsters Incorporated Land Floor. Oh, that is a lot. A lot of things. You got to stay busy when you're an actor, right? You're always writing, always producing something, right? Well, I try to. The, when I got into this business, like I say, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how this thing works and how, all sorts of different types of performing. And so I, I lasted in a job. The longest I lasted in any job was about six years at Titanic. Uh, because I would get in there and learn things, and then what would happen is management uh, would change, philosophies would change, and I would learn you know, what I needed to learn, and I was ready to move on and take something else on. So I've done just about all kinds of performing, from voice acting to street theater to spectaculars, to dedications, to conventions, uh, and loved it all and learned uh, all about it, and that's the stuff that I put in my book. So the book is part memoir and part part uh, textbook on writing and performing for themed entertainment. Awesome. And then uh, you mentioned real quick that you went to uh, back to Disney to one of Doug and I's favorite yes. attractions, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. Oh my gosh, it's it's one of the best ever. What did you? Uh, what was your role in Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor? Uh, I was one of the monsters. Um, there were twenty of us hired to open the attraction. Uh, this would have been in about November of 2006. We spent the next five months uh, working behind the scenes, uh, working on the show, writing the show, uh, working on voices, working on animation, uh, working on this, the animation system. And um, so I was one of the actors who uh, portrayed uh, the monsters. I was Buddy Boyle and Ed's. And uh, it was just a wonderful job. It's a terrific toy to play with. And the guests uh, love it. We get to you know, improvise with the, with the audience. And uh, it's exactly the kind of show I, liked, I love to do. It's, this, it's the same show every day, but you you got to keep it fresh. And so mm -hmm. you're, you're doing variations on things, and you have to be able to improvise to a certain extent. But to a certain extent, uh, the show is prepared and ready. And uh, you, I, I believe that what we do is not... Uh, Constant innovation, but consistent perfection. Did you come up with the idea for that guy? No, no, I did not come up with that guy. That oh, guy, okay. That guy, that I've guy, never been that guy. That guy came from, uh, I believe, one of the Imagineering writers. But there is uh, something in the in the show now was my contribution, and that is the use of the Eiffel Tower. 
Every time you go, you'll hear them mention nice. the Eiffel Tower. That's, That's what awesome. that was one of my contributions. My kids will randomly just yell like when somebody's not making any sense, right? And like the conversation comes to that awkward pause, one of them will uh, just yell, "And the Eiffel Tower from <laughs> that." That is how my kid and like they'll be around people that have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, we get the strangest looks. So like the five of us know, then the family, but like other people are like, what is wrong with this? The Eiffel Tower is nowhere around. So then of course when we're in France, there was just constant Eiffel Tower. Like, oh <laughs> good old Sam and Ella. Uh, that's I awesome. Be- I saw the show just. I saw the show just a, so three days ago. I was out there, and it was. It holds up. It was just hysterical, and uh, I was very proud of uh, the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Never want that one to get uh, remade like no. Dreamfinder did. No, keep it. Keep it. Yeah, that that's a great one. So, um, why don't you do uh, be able to plug your book because all these I, stories wait, are I in have your book. One more question. Go for it. Go for it, Doug. How do you, as the performer, see the audience in that? Are you watching monitors, or you have a place where you can actually view the audience? It's concealed in the top of the theater, and okay. we can uh, see everybody in the theater except the first row and the last row. Okay. And we can zoom in on you, and we can watch you, and you'll never know it. Ooh. All right. Actually, I did get uh, my uh, daughter and I were both wearing Rope Drop Radio t-shirts, and we did get picked out for uh the cutest couple or something like that so uh-huh. yes they got it they got us no i I love that show and, and the interaction's great so yeah some yeah. are really hilarious depending on the audience and we've had a couple where like the people don't play along i'm like what is wrong with you you're at disney world one of my favorite things was uh sometimes we would get a that guy who did mm-hmm. not want to be used <laughs> and so they would uh they would move. They would move to a different place in the theater. Not knowing, of course, we can follow them with the camera. And so every time they move, we find them and put them up, and there's that guy. Oh, my gosh. That's hysterical. That that's never great. happened. I would love to I'm see that happen. I'm going to do that. If I'm ever you that do guy, that, I'm going to move like the whole show like like I'm like I'm part of it. I'm just – I, th- I think that would be fantastic. They'd have to follow me around. They'd really harass me, wouldn't we they? We now know the secrets behind uh, behind the uh, Monsters, Inc. laugh floor. Oh, that's fantastic. Good stuff. All right. All right. Now we can move on, Derek. Well, you have so much of this in your book, and I want you to make sure you plug, because I really do want our listeners to, uh, to grab a copy. So can you talk about what inspired you to write your book? Well, I, that inspiration came quite early for me. Uh, when, like I said, I made this decision to... This type of performance works, and at the time nobody was writing about performing in the theme parks, and and to this day nobody really does. Uh, but I was determined to learn about it, and as soon as I made that decision, I had a feeling that someday I was going to write a book about it. Uh, I was doing uh, in I think it was nineteen, gosh, it was the twenty fifth anniversary of of uh, Disney World. No, of Epcot. 25th anniversary of Epcot. I was doing a presentation to the National Fantasy Fan Club about uh, talking about my career as Dreamfinder. And I came down, uh, finished talking, and the, the audience was Jim Hill, the uh, senior dean of all Disney podcasters. Yeah. And he pulls me aside and he says, that's a book. And uh, I, sure enough, I started writing a book right shortly after that. 
And uh, in the book, I like I said, I, I didn't know if I wanted to make it a textbook or a memoir. Not to be both. So I've got uh, it's it's quite a long book. It's about three hundred plus pages, and it covers um, everything from my early inspirations through all the different jobs I did, and how I got them, and what I learned in each uh, installation, and then the last uh, last fifth of the book is a textbook about uh, how to write and perform uh, and direct and uh, good themed entertainment, and, uh, the kind of stuff that. Uh, you don't always get to see, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the parks perfect, have perfected making things look good. I heard an Imagineer one time say, uh, as long as it's cute, no one will complain. Mm. But the scripts are the part that uh, yeah. we sometimes have problems with. And so uh, I wanted to write uh, something that would uh, try and fix that. I'm guilty of uh, finding times where I'm like, yeah, Disney is being really lazy right there. Um when it comes to some script writing and some other things. And that's probably what that's alluding to a little bit. I call it lazy, I guess. Hmm. Uh, so, and then you were in a movie recently, yeah. uh, the further adventures of Walt's frozen head. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. Fellow right. named, uh, Benjamin Lancaster came up with this idea for a movie. I saw the trailer for it, which had been shot, uh, like a year before I saw it and uh, he had everything in the trailer except for Walt Disney's head. And um, about that time I have to, to meet Ben and he thought maybe this would be a good guy to play the part. So he contacted me, sent me a copy of the script. I liked it. And uh, so I shaved off my beard. Uh, they got a lady came in, did a good job on me and we went and, uh, uh just shot my uh, my inserts, the stuff with uh, my head in it. They blended the two together, and uh, the film is up on YouTube right now. You can watch it for free all the way through, um, and uh, it's it's really a nice film. It it uh, it's about Walt Disney. It's, uh, it's ostensibly about Walt Disney wanting to get up in the park and see his park uh, in person, which he hasn't done in forever. But um, it's really about uh, letting go of things, uh, not hanging on to things too long. Mm. The thing that I liked about the script, it was like a Frank Capra script. It had a nice message. It had a, a nice buddy story behind it. And um, so I got to uh, do a little work on my part. And um, I love the way it, that uh, my part turned out. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to share that on all of our social medias. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, now I know what and I'm, then doing I'm gonna instead share... of sleeping. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, go on to uh, our Facebook page and uh, Twitter and everything, and we'll definitely link to the YouTube, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. So, Rope Droppers, you can definitely check it out. Great. That is cool. How how was that filming like? Because were you in front of a green screen the whole time, or was your head actually in the thing that it looks encased in? Nope, I was on. I was in green screen. I was in front of a green screen and um, with a towel around my uh, around my neck. And um, we had the we shot the thing uh, like, like I say, you know, good year, year and a half after the rest of it was shot. So I was uh, sitting there with a the director in front of me. He had a video feed with the footage they'd shot, and he would tell me where to look and uh, what I was reacting to. And uh, we took about two days to do, but uh, we had a lot of fun. Movie magic, right there. <laughs> the the power of green screen. Yeah, I'll just I don't know how it works. I'll just continue to be amazed Derek though on the other hand you you watch a movie like ah oh, too much green screen where I'm like that movie was great 
Yep, that's that's what happens when you have a film degree and a broadcast production degree and actually work in the media. So yes, I see yeah. if you don't. I would just comment on their teeth. <laughs> that, that's what the, the dentist would do. Yeah, yeah. So it is what it is. Well, do you have any other projects going on currently, Ron? No, that's pretty much it. I'm just uh, living the life of a retired theme park legend and um, loving it. Nice. And you get to the parks pretty regularly then? No, as a matter of fact. I I go there pretty rarely. Uh, It's just um, recent then. Yeah, well, yeah, this last weekend I had my my oldest living friend was out here visiting me. And so we spent uh, three days going around the parks and had a wonderful time together. Nice. Well, I think we are ready for the lightning round, Eric. All right. It's time for the lightning round. Bring it on. All right. So this is where you get to answer with your favorite Disney or Pixar or whatever other umbrella Disney owns, um, you know, to answer these. And uh, we do keep score, but there are no wrong answers. Only winners, but maybe a loser. All right. Are you ready, Ron? Yes, sir. All right. Favorite Disney movie. Uh, my answer will surprise you, um, but I, I do this on principle, and that is the movie that I love more than any is Tomorrowland, uh, oh. for what for the message for what the message was. The film didn't do as well as it as it might have at the box office, but the message is so wonderful. It is. Uh, the fact that it got made at all is a miracle, and so that's my what I always say is my favorite Disney film. I like that answer. That's I, a good answer. I, I really we have like never that had film. that answer before. No, and I really like that film. It's a good one. And you're right. The message. It's amazing it got made. Yeah. Um, fantastic answer. Man, you're winning already. All right. Favorite Disney <laughs> character. Oh, come on. You know. Um, you know. Nigel Channing. No. Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. No. Am I allowed to curse curse on this show? Um, We can beep something up. No. But you're close. You're next to it. Uh, Figment is my favorite. Figment. Okay. I wasn't sure if you'd go Dreamfinder or Figment. Well, there is no Dreamfinder present, so I better say Figment. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, maybe I was leading into the next question. Favorite Disney villain? Not Dreamfinder. Uh, my favorite Disney villain, I've got to say, uh, because it's the first role I ever played on stage, is Captain Hook. Oh, oh, good excellent. one. Excellent. All right, favorite Disney song? The uh, theme song from the pre-show of, Make, of Magic Journeys at Epcot when we opened was a wonderful Ro- Richard, Sherman, Richard Robert Sherman uh, construction called Making Memories. Um oh. There's a there are many copies of it out there. Not many of them are complete. Uh, if you get the entire song, it's got a wonderful build to it, and uh, it's, it's real toe Now I'm gonna have to look for that one. Absolutely, that's great. I really like it when our guests pick theme park music rather than like a you know a song from Little Mermaid. Not that there's anything wrong with "Can You Feel the Love Tonight," but yeah. I, I like one little spark. I can't remember what we said in our lightning round. If I said great, big, beautiful tomorrow or one little spark, I had one of the two. They're my top two. So I can't remember, Derek, do you? I said happily ever after. So I, I don't know. Yeah, you're you said. all in on exploding fireworks and music, I am. don't you? All right. Anyway, 
classic attraction, you define classic however you need to. A classic attraction for me, the one that I miss to this day, was Disneyland's Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland. This was a wonderful train ride through the living desert, bear country, beaver valley, uh, rainbow caverns, the living desert. uh, took up a large chunk of Disneyland, and uh, I just really loved the scale of it, and the, the... the presentation was wonderful. Sec, where uh, they tore that out and put in Big, Big Thunder, Thunder is Big now. Thunder, right? Yep. We're exactly where Big Thunder is now. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Um, favorite. First of all, a lot of our classic attractions are stuff that were built while I was alive, which I don't really know how I feel about that. So I like your answer. All right. Yeah, we just got Soren the other day. I was like, uh, really classic class? attractions, okay. yep. Soren. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess Soren over California is classic in comparison. All right. Um, favorite modern attraction? Uh, Disney Studios version of Power of Ten. Uh, that's a real, that's a, 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 a what's a green ticket, uh, e-ticket attraction. It's got thrills, it's got a wonderful story, um, tremendous detail, and I just never get tired of riding that thing. The thrill is, a, is magnificent, and they surprise you with the drop. Uh, um, the close runner-up is one I've never been on, uh, but I've watched the video a thousand times online. I can't wait to write Rise of the Resistance. Oh, it is fantastic. I am hoping so. When this show launches, I should be in line for Rise of the Resistance or, or waiting to get my uh, boarding group. So I'm excited yeah. for that. Good luck, Derek. I know. Thanks. Ma- Doug, you've already been on it like four times. I've so I- been on it four or five times. Five times? Oh, now? you lucky duck. Yeah. It was a lot of early mornings. Um, and some crabby kids, but we did it. We did it. It seems to only be getting busier like every day. I don't cool. understand. It's well, it getting out, you know, yeah. people see it online. Uh, it's, it's, it's bound to get more and more difficult to get in there, but uh, hopefully it'll get better, more consistently oper- operating and mm-hmm. uh, that'll make a difference. I yeah. hope next week, if you're listening, a little tease, my trip review, that I actually say I'm on it. So there Hopefully. You go. I like how you pick the two most um, frequent to break down attractions at Walt Disney <laughs> yeah. World for your... <laughs> Although Test Track's up there, too. Yeah, yeah I was going to Test Track. It's just one drop. One little spark of rain and Test Track goes down. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Favorite Disney resort? Um, I've never really... St- I've stayed at the Disneyland Hotel back in the 50s, but um, I'd say just for the design and the lobby and all of that, I love the Wilderness Lodge. I think Mm. that's a terrific piece of work. Very nice. Um, I realized I skipped over favorite Disney park. Yes, you did. Yeah. How dare I? Hell. That that that's another easy answer, too. Uh, I grew up at Disneyland. Disneyland is my home. And so it's it's all always be the original Disneyland for me. All right. Now to food, the important questions. Favorite counter service restaurant? Flame Tree Barbecue at uh, Animal Kingdom is a favorite. Um, but if uh, I'm a, a close second, actually, actually precluding it, uh, is a, is a uh, counter service that's no longer in existence was the old Chicken of the Sea pirate ship in Fantasyland before they tore it out. Uh, I loved eating there and... Uh, their hot tuna burgers and clam chowder were a personal fave, and I, I really miss that. 
that's definitely a different menu than we have today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hot tuna. Hmm. All right. Favorite table service restaurant? Well, three. I was lucky enough to eat there a few times, including on my 50th birthday. Um, Close second to that is right downstairs, and that would be the Blue Bayou. Very nice. All right. Favorite Disney snack? Fudge. Ooh, there you go. The con- fudge. Con- fudge. Confectionary. Close the-, the close second would be the beignets in New Orleans mm. Square. I love that Disney fudge. I can't believe we don't have beignets in the park at Disney World. Let's just take mm-hmm. a moment to evaluate That's crazy why to that think is. About that, yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's no no New Orleans. If they built New Orleans, you'd have to you'd have to have it to be the line. It'd be the it's, law. Yeah, I mean. Just shoehorn it in around pirates. We'll all accept the theming. Mm-hmm. All right. Favorite Disney drink? Uh, back at Sunkissed, I presume, on Main Street at Disneyland, they had fresh-squeezed OJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had a, I had a juice ritual when I was at Disneyland. I would buy apple juice at the, uh, uh, at the market house. I would buy OJ from Sunkissed, I presume. I'd have grape juice from the Welch's Grape Juice Stand in uh, Fantasyland. I would have pineapple juice from uh, the um, uh, Tiki Room. And then I would have uh, uh, mint julep from um, the, mm-hmm. where they sold the beignets in New Orleans yeah. Square. So. Uh, back in the day, I would hit all five of those. <laughs> wow. You were well hydrated, Ron. Oh, yes. I tried it. <laughs> yeah. it. I like how they're all different brands. It mm-hmm. shows that Walt wasn't afraid to bring all the different brands into the park. I yeah, know. you wouldn't see anything like that today. No, not at all. You don't see IPs and brands and different. Yeah, Walt was doing it from the beginning, folks. All right. And then last but not least, a Disney bucket list item. Walt's apartment. I've oh. never been. I've been everywhere else. I've been in Walt Disney's office. I've used Walt Disney's toilet. I've oh. snuck around backstage in just about every attraction in the parks, but I've never been to Walt Disney's apartment, and I would love to see that. That is a good one. That Yeah, uh, wow. That, you, that concludes the lightning round. Phew! And- well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. It's definitely an honor for Doug and I to have the Dream Finder mm-hmm. on with us. Uh, it's definitely uh, bringing back memories uh, when I was a little kid, and now I'm wondering if it was you uh, that I was th- that I saw. And I know you said in your book there's a way to tell uh, you guys apart, but it is pretty hard. The makeup was really good. <laughs> well, it's, it has nothing to do with the makeup, although although Steve Taylor's nose looks more like the Dream Finders than mine. I have more of a uh, more of a macaw beak, um, but um, you can you can tell us in pictures he's looking right into the camera. That's generally my that's generally me. But I was only there for the first five years, so chances are if you've got pictures with the Dreamfinder people, uh, it's going to be Steve Taylor. Okay, well, listeners, I'm going to give all of you a challenge. If you have memories of meeting the Dreamfinder, yes. find a picture, post it this week, tag us in it, and uh, and that'd just be really fun to Would. relive one of the best areas and attractions and character and meetings that Epcot had that sadly got rid of. I'd love to see them too. I would collect those. That would be great. I'm going to go search through. I actually told my dad tonight um, that I was going to go search through some albums this week before uh, getting ready for the social media blitz here. And He's like, you know, we didn't stop for characters when you were a kid. We were we were on a mission. He he was that parent, like, 
I mean, I remember rope dropping imagination. Like it was, uh, you know, the most important thing. That was, uh, I remember that when I was in kindergarten. And so maybe I'm going to have to look at the background of photos while like I'm splashing my sister in the face in the little fountains. Maybe you were <laughs> back behind getting to meet the lucky kids whose parents let them slow down and do things where mine was. Uh, our, our families were very similar, Doug. I, it was we had, I mean, we probably had to get to World of Motion, and then we had to, you know, in Horizons, we had to get over there before the crowds. Yeah, Horizons. Did, and yep. let's move. We, yeah, it was serious. It was, uh, it was Easter week. It was busy. Had things to do. Well, Epcot has definitely changed quite a bit, <laughs> but yeah, seriously, guys, if you have pictures, post them. Let us see it. That'd be really awesome. But that is all the time that we have. Again, Ron, thank you so much for being on the show and we want to plug your book again. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put that uh, on our books page. We'll post it on social media. So if you're not following us on social media, that's a plug for us. Rope drop radio, all the things. And, uh, but yeah, definitely rope droppers. Take a minute, check it out. And Ron, where else can people find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Look me up on Facebook. I'm, I'm always happy to hear from people who remember the character and um so i'm I'm over there and uh and hither and yon all right wonderful and if you want to book a disney vacation even though you're not going to be able to meet the dream finder you got to do that with michelle mcknight she is the rope drop queen uh doug you need to see if she has any pictures as well you know that's a good one uh they might i don't know they they're maybe it might have missed the 87 cutoff though Oh yeah. Okay. Well, take a take a look at that. We'll see if uh, we'll see if Michelle has any as well. But her email is in the show notes. Get a quote. Twenty twenty, a great time to take a trip to any Walt Disney Park and of course Disney Cruise and then Universal as well. Because Ron, we didn't even mention. Didn't you develop the Blues Brothers show? Yes, the show is still running at uh, at Universal. Christmas. I love that show and that movie. The first one, the second one was not a good movie, but I love the first movie. It's uh, yeah, the the original was mine. Uh, it's been rewritten and quote improved unquote <laughs> several times since then, but it is still running, which uh, surprises nobody more than not, more than me. <laughs> Oh, it's a good show. So definitely uh, Universal as well. Michelle books that as well. So if you want to check out the Blues Brothers. But again, Ron, thank you so much for being on the show. But that is it. We got to get to the after show. So if you want to listen to that, you got to become one of our Patreon members. That is in the show notes as well. But for Ron, Doug, I'm Derek. You've been listening to Rope Drop Radio.